Hey everybody, welcome to another amazing episode of The Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Ash Thorpe, joined by Andrew Harlick, and this is going to be episode 97 with the powerhouse actor-producer Adi Shankar, who has produced many films such as Dread, The Grey, Killing Them Softly, and The Lone Survivor, just to name a few. In this episode, we discuss Adi's upbringing and how that has influenced his career and his life. We discuss how he got his start in the industry along with his passion for his bootleg universe, which um, they recently released an R-rated Power Rangers short. It's on YouTube. Check it out. It's awesome. We'll have links to it in the podcast page. Adi has some really great advice about his outlook on peer pressure and his thoughts on being your authentic self. This episode is sponsored by Maxon, the creators of Cinema 4D. As you all know, it's a program that I use daily. It's a really great 3D application. It's awesome. For those of you that don't know, um, on April 13th through the 16th, there's an event in Las Vegas called NAB Conference. Maxon will be hosting a presentation by some really amazing 3D artists in the visual effects, motion graphics, and design industry. So check that out. If for some reason you can't make the event, you can check it out at c4dlive.com. Um, that's where they're going to be having a live stream of the event. You can sign up and participate in the live chat, submit questions for the presenter, and be entered into a raffle to win over $30,000 worth of prizes. Bam! Get some new awesome knowledge. Check out the vast library of presentations at c4dlive.com. Big thank you to Adi for joining us and sharing his career, his career and his journey with us, which is really amazing. You guys will love this one. This is going to be episode 97. Let's roll. You have um, a tremendous amount of passion. Um, is this something that you've always had or you just kind of came across it as you discovered your love for film or where does this all come from? Uh, passion? I think it comes from like, you know, a, a, a confused childhood. <laughs> there, I, I don't know. There was, there was, there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of moving around early on. Well, actually my whole life, right? I mean, I was born in, I was born in Calcutta. So we moved to Madras, then Bombay, then Hong Kong, then Singapore. I mean, it, it just goes on and on and on. And that was all, you know, that was all before before I was a teenager. So, you know, I, I think the lens through which I was viewing reality was was just inevitably different than someone who just kind of lived in one place. And um, I was constantly telling stories to, to other kids, right? That was the way I would relate to them. And... You know, the, the, and the stories would generally center around comic book characters because not everyone knew, uh, my friend Joe from Hong Kong, but they knew Wolverine. So I could tell like a Wolverine story, right? And that was mm. just kind of my way in. It was, it was, it was being funny, but you know, at, at that age, humor, uh, especially at that time, right? This is, this predates the internet in a lot of ways. Um, humor wasn't this universal thing. Where we're kind of like now congregating around like this universal global sense of humor, um, evidenced by how popular Gangnam Style was all over the world. <laughs> um, you know, but but yeah, that was uh, that was it. And and kind of movies were were um, when I was growing up. You know, I'm sorry, I just turned thirty. Um, but when I was growing up, movies were the kind of the pinnacle of, of art of, uh, you know, there, there were, there was a global art form. Um, I don't think, I, I don't think they, they, you know, the, they hold movies today. Um, 
hold the same place in the zeitgeist as they did 10 years ago, but yeah. Um, the form of medium is obviously completely changed, right? The way totally. the, the access and that's something that you off, you talk about as well. I definitely want to get back into your childhood and talk about moving and traveling because I had a similar experience growing up and constantly changing um, your your mood and settings and having to reacclimate to people. I think what it what it shows you is obviously for me personally, it, it allowed me to see the world through a different perspective. Um, but along the lines of that, it also allowed me to um, gain a certain um, thick skin, I guess, if that's kind of a weird way to say it. It seems like for me, when I look at what you're doing and how you're how you're presenting yourself, like you you are just being yourself, and you're okay, right. And you're okay with that. It's 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 not even that I'm okay. It's I'm kind of not okay with it in a weird kind of way. You know, mm. it's um, I so desperately want to be that guy that can just blend in and the thing, but like this is me trying to blend in in a weird kind of way, right? It's just. Um, this is me not playing a character, even though it might come off like a character. Interesting. Yeah. Cause I was going to, I was going to ask you about like your persona, the makeup and like the, um, the crosses on your hands and all that. That's, kind of stuff. That is, that is literally the realest version of me. The realest version of you is that. Is that. Okay. And it's, it's this, it's this bizarre dichotomy where the, where, um, um, where like, when I'm playing a character, that's when I'm tr- when I'm blending in and call it assimilating. That's me playing a character, right? I mean, I don't have I don't have cultural reference points uh, in the way I would have like had I had I just lived in one society. I mean, I, I grew up in a you know in a in a dictatorship in a uh, on one hand in a in a, in a very repressive uh, society. On the other hand, then it then and I was exposed to freedom because of, you know, the West. Um, the things that influenced me were just kind of all across the, the, the map. So, so yeah, I mean, it's, it, that, that is, that is it, it's a persona maybe, but it's also the realest version of me. Yeah, it's interesting though. I, I mean, I, I find it to be really fant- uh, interesting to, to, to um, kind of, you know, it's to get a little bit of understanding of where you come from in your childhood and the buildup of that. And, um, you know, seeing at, say you said you're 30 years old now and you've accomplished quite a bit. You've been moving pretty fast. Would you say? It felt really slow, but yeah, I mean, I guess looking back <laughs> on it, whoa, this is awesome that I got to do all this stuff. You've been, um, you've been in the business for how long? Seven years. Seven years. Okay. Yeah. Like, I like I broke in seven years ago. I mean, I, I would, I mean, I, I was trying even in college. Like, I was, uh, <laughs> I remember uh, um, I, w- I was interning at a company in Singapore. And uh, this is when I was in college. I think I was a freshman in college. And I called the head of, um, you know, I, I just went on the internet one day. And I, and there's a company called MediaCorp, right? They, they control, they, and there was only like two um TV stations in Singapore, two local TV stations, and one was one one was called MediaCorp. And I called MediaCorp, and I was like, "Hey, I'm I'm uh, Addy. I'm an independent producer from. Yeah, I live in America. Like, I want to meet with your programming people." And I I literally set up a meeting with like, uh, 
like a bunch of programming executives and was like pitching them an idea for a show that I was going to shoot at university. <laughs> awesome. And they showed up and I was, I remember I like, I went and bought a suit because I was like, fuck, they're not going to take me seriously. <laughs> uh, and I like didn't shave and stuff and I showed up and then they're like, how old are you? And I'm like, uh, well, well you know, yeah. <laughs> they saw through it then, but yeah. you've been, you've been at it for a long time. Like you said, um, Perhaps, like you said, the connection that you were having with kids at a young age was telling stories and using um, the Marvel Universe or the comics in general as a as a form of communication, right? Yeah. yeah. Yep. And you, so you're, say, 30, I'm 32. We kind of come from the same era. Um, the world has completely changed now, obviously, as it con- continues to do so. But it's really fascinating. Um, sometimes I personally think of myself as being, I have to constantly remind myself of the power of nostalgia. Do you find yourself getting kind of lost in that realm where you're just kind of wanting to hold on to what movies were to you as a kid? No, no, I don't. Actually, I don't. Because uh, in a lot of ways, um, you know, movies movies were cool, but but really what they were, it, it was it was uh, it was all about the 1% and it was all about the white man's agenda. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's like, it's like the only only fucking like role model I had to, to to look up to uh, on, on any form of visual entertainment as a, as a child was fucking Apu from the Simpsons. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's another really interesting viewpoint that I wanted to talk to you about, about diversity and and films and all that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. Because I'm sure it's obviously very interesting, too, especially, you know, working with somebody like Liam, like Liam Neeson, for example, who's been around for a very long time, is an incredible talent. Um, but also you being behind these kind of films, are you are you interested in creating films that open up the perspective of more diversity in, in that realm? No, because uh, <laughs> I don't think films are the medium that will do that anymore. You don't think so, huh? Where do you where do you think that would go? Is, do you think it's in television, Netflix, streaming, that kind of stuff? Um, the best, you know, um, the best example I can give of this is uh, in 2011. I had a movie come out starring Gerard Butler called Machine Gun Preacher. Um, it's about uh, it's about Joseph Coney and all the atrocities he he's you know committed committed throughout the years with you know everything he's done. It's about a a, a guy who goes over there and tries to do something about it. And that film was released as a normal, like a platform, like a movie, basic one, like um, it was, distributed. Uh, it, was a, it was an it was a proper movie. Okay, it gotcha. A, awesome. It was a proper movie. It was in theaters. No one watched it. No one <laughs> Literally, no one cared. I mean, you had at that point in time, Gerard Butler was like, you know, on the verge of. I mean, he was he was he was starring in big studio, you know. Um, Movies, right? Yeah. Um, movie comes out, literally, I mean, Relativity released it. Literally, no one saw it. No one saw it. Um, a few months later, um, someone makes this video called uh, Coney 2012. Yes. <laughs> that guy is down here in San Diego. That video goes crazy viral. Yeah, it did. And all of a sudden, now people are talking about Machine Gun Preacher. Hmm. So then you go, what's the companion piece here? Is the viral video the companion piece to the movie or is the movie the companion piece to the viral video? Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. And the answer is the viral video is the real form of entertainment. The movie is the companion piece. It's like, oh, you want to learn more? 
it used to be like, oh, you know, like um, people would make documentaries, right, and then hope that the documentary uh, sells, becomes a movie, and if someone loves the movie, then the movie comes out, stars Tom Cruise, and people are like, oh my god, this movie was great. Oh, did you know there's a documentary? Oh, I want to learn more about this, about the real guy, and they watch the documentary. Sure. <laughs> now it's like, you know, you know what I mean? Now it's like, oh, there's this thing on the internet. Oh, wow, there's a movie about this too? Cool, I'm going to go watch the movie. Yeah. It seems like um, the access to information is completely di- like changed the platform, obviously, for people to get access to content. Where do you see your future in all this kind of stuff? Because obviously everything's shifting, especially with Hollywood and the the, the way that films are made, um, the constant shift. Um, where are you seeing things? Are you are you on the subscription of like Kevin Spacey's where he thinks, you know, television is going to take over or... Um, are you into the idea of oh, I, television? I think television is a failing is a failing enterprise. How would you explain? Um, well, I mean, maybe you'll talk more about, I guess, um, like Netflix. Well, what were you saying? How would I explain? Well, like, um, yeah, maybe elaborate on what you think on the device of television, how it's failing. No, no, but you were about to say, how do you explain? Uh, I feel I lost my train of thought. <laughs> you were about to say i think how do you explain oh netflix? um oh, okay netflix yeah example like um for yeah. example like i really enjoy some of the programs that netflix produces um how's the cards which is really great and um, absolutely now the new let me ask you a question let me ask you a question sure is netflix television or is netflix something completely different and since we don't have a word for it we're calling it television that's what it is it's not television and we don't have necessarily a word for it i think the only word exactly. that i would equate to it would be streaming i guess yep. yeah and it's I a mean, whole different the, mo- the, model um, the all the all the tropes all the classic tropes we 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 associate with television right the cliffhanger ending the monster of the week all that shit that doesn't exist on netflix yeah because right? of binge watching it, right? Is that what you're talking about? Pardon? Because of binge watching, the instant access to all the entire construct is completely different, right? The television was defined as as, as more of like was designed as this broadcast thing where people crowd around it and you know watch commercials and watch commercials and, and there's eat like that shit, yeah, breaks at certain points and you know there the, the television is a business. Um, everything that Netflix does. Yeah, they, it, it like like maybe uh, you know maybe uh, maybe you can consider television as an ancestor to Netflix in the same way that you know uh, uh, a tiger and a and a lion like share some sort of ancestry and a panther and the three of them share some sort of ancestry, but like they're fundamentally very different creatures. Sure, it's like radio to television. I suppose that's the leap you're you're suggesting. Yeah. Yeah. There's actually yeah. a good case, though. Um, Andrew, what's that name of that podcast? The Serial? Is it Serial? Yeah, Serial. Yeah. Have you? Are you familiar with that? Do you? I'm very familiar with Serial, yeah. What do you think of it? I haven't had a chance to check it out, but I hear it's really great. I mean, it is great. Yeah. Okay. So, is it more or less like... Um, for me, from what I understand, it's 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 just like um, very good crafted storytelling, and there's no need for visuals, but just it, it packs enough punch to keep people actively engaged in it. Exactly, exactly, right. Yeah. And 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 now, no one's pointing to cereal and saying, "Oh my God, the radio is making a comeback." <laughs> right? No yes. one's doing that because we have a word, and that word is podcast. Yeah, that's true. The problem is what we're doing with television is we haven't created a new word. And we're lumping in 
new shit with the old shit and calling it television. It's not. What would you What would you call it then? I don't know. I'd, I'd throw a swear word in there. <laughs> Fuck the yeah. hell of it. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you're, I think call it a butt plug. Today. A butt plug. A butt plug. Okay. Just yeah. kidding. The Netflix kidding. butt oh. plug. <laughs> yeah. But no, I, I get you, and I think that there's definitely something there. I call it fast twelve. Fast twelve. Oh. Fast <laughs> twelve. <laughs> oh man. Well, I think that we're definitely onto something because the medium itself is what we're after, right? I mean, we we make a living off of the medium and how we use this and utilize its uh, strengths and uh, minus its weaknesses. As far as where you're going in your career, um, you're obviously smart and acknowledge the things that are going it's on. You can use the word career because I don't feel like I have a career. I feel like I do random shit <laughs> and then like sometimes people notice. I guess the way I see it at career is you, you're doing something and you're getting paid for it and it's along a similar path. So you're a, you're a quote unquote a producer, right? That would be your career path. I guess, I guess. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know what I am anymore. Do you, uh, do you not like um, labels and titles? It's not that I don't like them. It's this weird thing where um, it's like we as a species where we're, we're just, slaves to this idea of taxonomy, right? That's why we're so easily fooled by branding. That's like where the whole idea of brands come from. We're just fucking slaves to it because we want to, we see a logo, we see a name, we see a title, and we, we, we immediately associate it with an evoked set of things, right? Sure. Itemization. And, and like what a producer does today is very different to what a producer did in the 80s. It's very different to what a producer did in the, in the 30s, Right. Yeah, we use the same word, and um, and then there and, and then even directing, right? You know, what a director did in the '30s is very different to what a director does today. Yes, it, it's it's different. Like, um, and and we get so caught up in these in these titles, and it's fine, it's whatever, it's actually pretty inconsequential. But then the word producer is just a really stupid term because you end up it ends up not meaning anything, right? Anytime, anytime you have a title and people are like, okay, well, what does that mean? What, like, <laughs> what do you, what does that do, right? Yeah, like, well, at the end of the day, what is the it? The title is really stupid because it's like, right? It, it's like, it's like, um, it's like if, if, if the milkman was like, here's a carton of milk and you're like, okay, well, what does that mean? Like, what is milk? <laughs> and then you have to go into like this long explanation as to what milk actually is. Sure. Then, then the word has failed. The title has failed. So do you think the role um, of producer in this situation is kind of, it's not irrelevant. I don't think that's what you're saying, but what you're getting at is that the roles of these things are completely always changing, right? Yeah, completely yeah. changing. And um, and there's these, there's these like ancient archetypes, right? That yeah. like... Um, that get associated now, and it takes more effort to to rebrand it or reposition it or to change the public perception than, than to just create a new word. Sure. What would you consider yourself to be then? A butt plug. Because <laughs> <laughs> like it's, it's, I'm just I'm just playing with you actually because it seems like you don't like to have an itemized like kind of item char- characterized name tag kind of thing, which I find to be interesting as well sometimes we have guests on who really enjoy having the 
the name that they um, work under because it helps give them that, you know, I, this is what I am. You know, I, I, I this and is me. Think, like, um, um, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Like, <laughs> you know, on, 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 in some ways, some things I do, yeah, it's more of a quote unquote traditional producer thing, whatever that means. Um, in some, in some respects, I'm more of like a creator, right? Like, uh, you look at the bootleg universe, for instance, right? Yes. Like, what am I actually doing there? I, I'm, I'm, I'm closer to a television showrunner. Yeah. Than a producer. You would could would you kind of associate yourself as kind of like um, the glue, I suppose, connecting the actors and directors and creatives and people together and creating a team? Is that more or less? Or like coming up with the concepts and you know it, it kind of like. Uh, it's closer to what like Rod Serling did with uh, with Twilight Zone than gotcha, right? Because he's like, okay, this so is the episode. Good. Here's the kind of outline. Boom! Here's the team. Awesome. Let's go fucking do this. Go do it. Yeah, exactly. Very proactive, and that seems to be um, something that I've found from following your work so far. Is you're very proactive. Um, what's an average day like for you? Uh, there is, is there one. no average. Yeah, I was oh, going to say there is oh. no average day. Yeah, there's no average day, like, you know, I'm, like, just kind of wandering around causing chaos. <laughs> do you have people that help you with your day-to-day, or do you manage everything yourself? I manage most things myself, and I have a, I have a, I have a lawyer, I have a, you know, a manager. Um, um, I really should be expanding my team, but... You know, there's something really freeing about waking up and not really being responsible for another person. Yeah. You know, like. Yeah, absolutely. The moment you're like, oh man, I have these two executives who are like scrambling around and they're like young, uh, savvy, motivated individuals whose career is riding on like what I do next. And all of a sudden, like, I'm like, oh my God, pressure. Uh, yeah. And you make decisions on a really weird. Um, right. level yeah actually that's your ego that's when your ego gets involved right because you're like Man. yes and then you make really weird decisions i remember um i was just listening to tim ferris's interview over arnold schwarzenegger and arnold was explaining to tim that before film he was making money he was almost i think he was a near to being a millionaire from his property investments because he was really smart in investing here and he was saying that when he decided to do films he wasn't desperate and he wasn't making desperate decisions to take any job. And he would he he would just kind of put himself in different situations so that he could get the roles that he felt like fit him best. I mean, he did have some funny roles in the beginning, obviously. But the you, know, un- you look un- at you look at uh, the the careers of most directors, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're talking about I'm talking about directors who direct like big movies, right? Give me some new movies that you're talking about. Uh, I mean, a- any movie that you see a billboard for, or that you see in a theater, or gotcha, you know, a list stuff. Like okay. Basically anything. Any if you're talking about a movie, I'm talking about. If you're thinking a movie, I'm thinking it. Right, talking about it. Gotcha. Um, the difference between a director that goes on to become not a household name necessarily, but to 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 have like a long career, and those directors that become a flash in the pan. Is literally that. It's literally that. It's, it's, it's like, 
that, like literally that in my in my um, experience, my limited experience, I found that the that, like the dudes that are, um, you know what, I'm gonna chill until I find the perfect project. Yeah, they'll have, you know, they, they those guys tend to have long lasting careers. The dudes that are like, man, I I really need to, you know either make a movie, whether it's for financial reasons, whether it's for ego reasons, whether it's because of fear. I mean, they're both operating. You may, I'm going to guess in both scenarios you're operating from a, a place of fear. Um, that ends up fucking you. You end up making a weird decision, a bad decision. Compromise. Yeah. And you feel in the in the art then, I suppose. Right. Like Chris and, Nolan, and for allows, example, made... It really allows other people to manipulate you. Absolutely, because you're um, starting on a really weird foot. And I think yeah. art, like really good art at a very high level, personally, is very honest and is very direct, and we feel it. You know, we can tell when somebody's trying to lie to us or cheat us or cheat themselves. Totally. Which is fucked, you know? It's it's kind of crazy. One thing that I find to be really fascinating about films, my involvement with it, is it's very complex, incredibly large. It's crazy that these things even get done. You go and release it, and then somebody could be sitting in a the theater and go, ah, shit sucks, you know? It's like I, t- 10 years of somebody's life, you know? It's like, wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then at the point of it, you have to understand, and I guess what you probably get a good understanding of is like, it's about your quality of life, the decisions you make and who you work with. Yeah. Yeah. Totally, man. Yeah. And that's really it's, key. But it's not about the outcome. It's really not. Yeah. It's about like the, the journey that got you there, you know, yeah. like that's why like you have all these people with like hollow victories that seem like pissed off like you know i don't want to name names but yeah probably best not to <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's, it's got to be complicated too to navigate these waters because as um you're navigating these like hollywood stuff um not necessarily right i mean you're kind of creating your own your own momentum on different things which is like um, privately funded enterprises and stuff like that which i'd be which is really interesting to kind of consider how you connect private invest investors with um, an IP or a project. Is that a really interesting process that you go about? And are you at the start of this kind of this, this arena when you go off to make something like dread, for example, and do you get tired of talking about dread too? You don't have to talk about it if you are. So <laughs> I'm so tired about talking about dread. Yeah. Fuck it. Let's not talk like, about it. <laughs> like, here's the thing about dread. I made that dread cartoon, right? Yeah. Do you like the dread cartoon? The six episodes, right? Yeah. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to check it out. I saw it. Yeah. Fuck. No one watched the cartoon. I'm kidding. A lot of people watch the cartoon. But, like, but like, whenever people talk to me about Dread now, I'm just like, you watch the cartoon? And they're like, I mean, a good amount of people. And had, like, I think, like, a million people have seen it just on, like, my channel alone. And then it's been uploaded everywhere else, too, right? But, like, it's, like, weird. I don't know. I don't know why I'm so emotionally attached to the cartoon. What was like the process for creating that cartoon? Like, how did that start? Um, well, I found these animators on the internet, befriended them. Um, we created a little collective. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, we made it over the course of two years. How do you keep that kind of flow? Cause two years is a long time and I imagine you're doing other things as well. So how do you maintain like keeping it on it? Do you, 
Is there some kind of schedule where, okay, every day I'm going to check in on this or it just kind of comes natural or you let them kind of grow and work with it? You, you, do you have um, a form of structure that you like to work within or is there no structure no. at all? Just let it be. No, no, no. no. There's just, it's total chaos. <laughs> and how do you think things end up getting done? Is there, um, and that's why I was curious if you had somebody else like helping with keeping um, things in get done. This is very interesting because I actually, I think about this a lot, right? Because sure. this is all I do. This is literally all I do, right? I only have hobbies. This is my hobby. So this is all I do. So this is all I'm constantly thinking about. So that's how things get done, right? Now, if I, if I was married and had a kid, I don't know what the hell I would do. I'd be completely screwed. <laughs> yeah, it's challenging. I have a 10-year-old daughter, and it definitely gives you... Oh, a you have a 10-year-old daughter? Yes, I do, yeah. So how old were you when you had your... When she, when she was born? When I married my wife, my daughter was three. So I, I kind of adopted her in marriage, basically. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah that's but awesome. It's cool. It's definitely interesting. Well, hold on. So you're, you're like, like, like 10-year-olds year, ten are fucking smart at that point. At that point, you're yes. smart, right? Yeah, you're, you're she's like very smart. fully functioning. So, so you have like a little person to talk to. That's really cool. It is really um, complex and interesting, too. Um She's very smart, and she's very aware of um, the world around her and how to manipulate it. We clash quite a bit because we're very similar. She's very creative and ridiculous, and we have very interesting like dialogue connections between one another. So I'm curious to see where she's going to go, especially with having a dad like me doing all these weird things. I imagine it's got to be kind of interesting. So. I want to take her traveling with me soon to these because I do quite a bit of speaking events and I'd love to take her with me to show her that you can do this stuff. And does she like your, does she like your art? Yeah, she digs it. She's, um, she'll sit in my lap while I'm drawing sometimes and we'll just kick back and I'll sit down and show her how to draw like adventure time and stuff. And, um, but she reminds me of myself. I'm very stubborn as a kid and I'd be like, ah, let me draw this, you know, like I'll just draw it myself, you know, like no, don't, no rules, (laughs) my rules. (laughs) So, yeah, it's very similar. But, yeah, having a kid is very, um, it adds a very interesting dynamic to life. And I, I suppose that your projects are your children, right? Would you say that? I don't even, like, I, the thing is I don't have children, so I don't know how to compare. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of, um, it's a weird thing where I don't actually, like, even, I don't have children, so I can't compare it to the you know what I mean? I can't be like, oh, it's like this. I don't know what the like is like. Sure, I got you. That's actually good for you to to consider because it isn't like anything else. No, you know, no feeling that you have an experience is like anything that you know. So it's just, just kind of like, you know, until you understand what that is, I guess you know. But I think what I what I'm an saying. Idea. An idea. What's Am that? I allowed to do that on a podcast? What's that? Am I allowed to pitch you an idea on a podcast? Yeah, go for it. All right, <laughs> we should do. Love how you ask. <laughs> We should do an exclusive poster series for the bootleg universe, all made by you. Exclusive poster series for the bootleg universe. I was just going to get into the bootleg universe, and that sounds interesting. We should definitely talk about this. Right? Wouldn't that be cool? Like, you do a Dirty Laundry poster, a Power Rangers poster, a Truth and Journal poster, a Super Fiend poster. That'd be fun. I'd love to do that. Yeah, I'd love to. And yeah, I'm trying to find more time to do these things, and... um, do you are you do you following any of like what Mondo's doing any of that yeah. kind of stuff? Are you a exactly. fan of that like, stuff? Really, that's literally what I'm thinking in my head. Yeah, of course. Are you a fan of that stuff? I love it. 
Are you familiar with Dave Raposo's work and the stuff you did for Power Rangers? No. No, I'll have to send you his work. When I saw the Power Rangers stuff, I instantly thought, oh, wow, like, that's like awesome. That's like Dave's artwork. He did a bunch of um, really interesting. Um, he he built a lot of artwork that's based off of like um, what do what would you consider that, Andrew fan art? Like uh, yeah, I guess so. Really sick fan art stuff. I'll send it to you. But yeah, fan art makes it sound like it's on Deviant Art, but yeah, it's true. It's, it's very like, high level fan art. But I'll send it to you. But what inspired you to get the bootleg universe going? Is it just kind of a natural occurrence that you just said, "Fuck it, let's do it," or you know? Was that how do you make that decision? Oh shit! This is awesome. I'm looking at it on the internet. This is awesome. Yeah, he's he's yeah. awesome. Like, if, did you did you Google um, Dave Raposa Power Rangers? Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, he's seen your short too. Oh wow! <laughs> this he is funny about too. It on the blog. Yeah. Did he? Was he like, what the hell? Did he say anything? I don't know. Here, hold on. I'll send you the link. It's like in his first. Oh my god! His Master of the Universe thing's amazing. Yeah, he's awesome. He's a very talented guy. Oh, wow. I'll get you synced up with him if you want. He's a really nice guy. Super busy, always working. Yeah, could you could you, uh, could you introduce us? Absolutely, definitely. Yeah, he's um, trying to get him on the podcast. He's been really busy, but I think he's another one of those guys who's kind of coming Dude, up. Dude, did a red one? Yeah, he's done so many. <laughs> Dude, I want a copy of the dread one. Then I'll talk about dread again. Because I'll be like, yeah, <laughs> I have a dread one. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure, like, um, I'll get you, I'll send an email out after this podcast and try to get you guys linked up. The only problem with him is sometimes I know um, he's he doesn't respond to emails just because he's busy drawing. So, but um, I'll, I'll make sure I get you guys synced up too, especially if I can get the uh, topic of the Power Ranger stuff up because, yeah, the Power Ranger thing is, I'm sure, is like, a, I think he was like thinking that you guys got inspired, but I'm not sure. I'm not going to say anything, so. Don't, like I don't care. I don't think he cares, anyways. Too Power Rangers. The interesting the thing about um, proactively inspired. Yeah, I think there's a there's an interesting thing that occurs now um, via the internet is the hive mind. What do you think of that? Do you do you agree that the hive mind is is prevalent and exists and is very strong right now because of Tumblr totally. and totally. Well, yeah. What do you think of originality then? In, in in terms of... Do you think it's authentic or do you think... Because for me, I personally subscribe to the idea that originality is non-existent really. It's kind of there, but it's not. Everything is a remix in a sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We live in the, we live in the remix culture, absolutely. Do you feel that that diminishes our experience with things if nothing is authentically original? No, no, not at all. I mean, I... I, I I mean, originality has always been a myth, right? Because originality, if, if something is just way too original, people don't understand it anyways, right? Yeah. So, so um, the, and, and literally, at the end of the day, why does art exist? Like, it doesn't exist for commerce. It exists to create a conversation, right? And, like, if something's too original and people don't understand it's going over their heads, it's, it's not creating the conversation, so it's failed. Um, Originality and art and all that stuff—it's always been like a slow-moving process. It's slight deviations. It's 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 reinterpretation. It's that's always what it what it's been. Um, She feels like it's at a very fast rate now, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Yeah, and what do you think that's equated to? The information age. Yeah, and the constant uh, abundance of information. Mm -hmm. 
Do you think that, um, do you think that it's kind of, as we're moving forward through these things and it's, um, like media, for example, as we talk about like the, do you, do you feel that films now in the theater are kind of a failure that are existing or is there still, do you still get excited when you go to see a film? Depending on the film, obviously. What's the last film that you've seen that you're excited about? Let me rephrase that. <laughs> uh, uh, the trailer for Mortal Kombat 10. <laughs> the trailer for Mortal Kombat 10. Have you seen It Follows? Have you seen that yet? No. You haven't seen it? I, I watched it the other day. I really enjoyed it. I'm not. Horror films are, you know, you have to really. I don't know if you're. Are you into horror films? No. No? Okay. Well. This might not be for you, but it's a very um, proper nod I'm to. Easily, I'm very easily scared. That's why I'm not into horror films. Oh, you should watch it then. It's great. <laughs> I really um, enjoyed it. I really like. Movie. You know, I, I I had a lot of fun watching Project Almanac. I thought that was cool. Like, I haven't seen that. It, it's not like the greatest movie or anything. You know, it's it's not like genre redefining, but it was really fun to watch. Hmm. Interesting. You'll have to check that out and write that down. I think, the, I think the metric by which movies are, are reviewed is kind of weird, right? Like, Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. What is your thoughts about this, like, Rotten Tomatoes and this whole IMDb thing where people go and look at, like, ratings and then it obviously influences people's perceptions of things, especially if they don't have an understanding well, of what... It, it, it's, it's helpful. It's very helpful in some ways, right? Because it, it'll help something get noticed. But at the same time, it... it, 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 it it's again, we're slaves to taxonomy, right? We're like, oh, That's is true. it good? It, it, it creates this, it paints this picture that everything's in black and white. When it's not. And it positions everything in, in this, uh, it repositions movies in this world where it's like, there's good and there's bad. There's good and there's bad, right? Yeah. And like, not everything needs to be deep. Not everything needs to be groundbreaking, right? And you take Project Almanac, and I'll get, that's a perfect example of what, of, of, of what we're talking about, because did the movie redefine uh, the found footage genre? Did the movie, uh, was, was, was the movie an iconic uh, reinterpretation of time travel? No. Was it trying to be? No. Was it trying to be entertaining? Yeah. Was it entertaining? Fuck yeah. Like, but it gets, you know, it gets, it gets measured against uh, something like Looper, or mm. against like something like Terminator, and of course it's going to fail on that metric, right? Sure, these are different um, platforms, completely different in experiences. Right, right. But the problem is, they're both in movie theaters, so they're immediately <laughs> sure they're associated then, with one another. And then, and then, and then you look at um, um, look at the Bootleg universe, right? Because there's nothing else really like it. It's not measured along those that metric. Sure. There's no, you know, there's no Rotten Tomatoes uh, like. on like, oh man, was was Power Rangers a uh, 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 in the eighties? Was it certified fresh? Was it in the twenties? You know what I mean? Like, sure. Those are what the critics would have said. I, it, it doesn't matter because I'm bypassing all of that. Smart though. Wouldn't you say you're creating like you, we've been talking about? You're creating your own avenue rather than being associated with these old um, archaic terms that people use to itemize and categorize. Mm. So yeah, the, boot, the bootleg universe, um, how has that affected your life and the process of making these things and, and creating these experiences and working with these teams? 
Um, you just released your recent one, which is the Power Rangers one. Um, how was that experience? I did a, a, a spy one, James Bond, um, like a week later. Yeah. How did that? How is that um, affecting your experience with making film? In general, like this, this this bootleg experience. Are you considering doing more of these things, or are you thinking it, of? It is weird. Uh, process because you know I, I did the first one and I was like haha this is funny right which is, <laughs> yeah uh, it was dirty which was the Punisher dirty laundry right yes. it was Tom Jane playing the Punisher again effectively right and then that was at a time when like people still made independent films right in fact the independent film business was uh, experiencing a renaissance right like the um, just to put that in perspective, Dirty Laundry came out the same year that I had the Gray in theaters, Judge Dredd and my ju- the Judge Dredd reboot in theaters, and Killing Them Softly, a Brad Pitt movie. All three of them being independent films in theaters. Yeah, that was four things. It's a lot out. of stuff, dude. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's why I'm now, asking. You're moving fast. Now, the independent film business is just completely fucked. Like completely fucked. How so? Could you explain that some more? Um. I made a YouTube video about this on like how explaining how independent film financing works. Yeah. I like that video. It's really great. Can you elaborate for our, I'll, we'll post that link to, for people to um, check it out, but um, maybe you well, can it, sum it's up basically what it is. a process of uh, pre-selling an asset that doesn't actually exist yet. Yeah. Um, uh, stringing together these distribution contracts from all over the world. Right. Except the world is in turmoil right now. So the process is completely fucked. Like, um, some three of the biggest territories were uh, Italy, Spain, and Russia. Hmm. All three are worth nothing today. Hmm, interesting. So, there's that. But, in a weird kind of way, I'm, I'm, um, it, it's like independent films moving on YouTube. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm, Telling stories, I'm working with I'm working with the same kinds of actors that you know I would have like done an independent film. So what's the fucking difference? Yeah, I'll tell you what the difference is. The different the difference is I'm getting more eyeballs on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You're having more control over it, I guess. As opposed to yeah, and I don't have to deal with like the douchebag distributors. Yeah, which gets really complicated. Um, I, personally, I have a hard time with putting my um, all my cards or all my eggs in one basket. I I have a hard time with like subscribing to that personally um, just because um, for example, like, you know, catering to distributors and um, all that kind of stuff. I just feel oh, the, like the, the dirty little secret about filmmaking is uh, you're not making something for the audience. That's it, what the audience wants is irrelevant. Yeah. You're making something for the distributor. And what the distributor thinks the audience wants. Now, if the distributor has a very good idea of what the audience wants, then you're fine. But if the distributor uh, wants the opposite of what the audience wants, well, guess what? You're completely fucked. Yeah, it's a horrible experience. Yeah. And that's just navigating. But you're talking about the business model, right? The return of um, investment, obviously, right? No, no. I'm talking about not. No, no, no. I'm I'm, I'm talking about just 
if you movies like anything like any you know like like uh, if a movie's in theaters it's not like someone just made the movie and the theater picked it up like the theater you get to the theater via a distributor right the distributors are like basically the studios right sure sometimes independent arms sometimes they don't but like um the studio sitting there and determining what the audience wants what they think the audience wants and what's your thoughts on that I think it's, you know, been the way things have been for a very long time. And it's hard to get um, things to change because they just don't. Do you want change? Is that what you're after? I don't know. That's interesting. <laughs> I haven't really... Seems like you are. From the only thing I'm after right now is uh, this this um, this uh, Judge Dredd poster by David... <laughs> Raposa. <laughs> yeah, I'm like staring at it while I'm talking. <laughs> Yeah, did, so you've seen his some of his work. He's, you've seen the Power Rangers stuff, right? Oh, I've been like scrolling through it as I've been talking. It's that, all of me. Yeah, that's the stuff he did that years ago, which is kind of funny. He did a bunch of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles too, and yeah, I uh, saw that. I saw the Ninja Turtles one just now. I saw, um, I saw his Dragon Ball Z one, X Men um, stuff. He did some cool X Men stuff where it was kind of rem reminiscent of um since we're we're from the same era you know what i'm talking about like did you collect the cards the extra yeah. cards and oh you, yeah do you remember that one where you'd have to put all six cards together to form like the danger room i think it was yeah so yeah those his art reminds me of that era and that feel kind of it's cool he's very much in tune with these uh the nostalgia of these things definitely i kind of want to talk about killing them softly i watched that in the theaters um had some really phenomenal moments to it i think i had to watch it for the second time for it to work for me in my mind but it was an interesting film on many levels um i really dig that director's viewpoint on things but could you explain kind of your involvement with that project and the process of making that film for from your perspective in terms of in terms of what well, just your involvement, um, you know, how does that project come about? And, you know, I don't know, even if you talk about, like, the distribution of it, because you said, wasn't that privately invested as well, Killing Them Softly? Mm, not really. I mean, no. it, was, it was a studio of, film. But, but, I mean, look, like, um, you know, they're, they're, they're really, like, like, what, like seven movie stars that actually exist, like actual real bona fide movie stars, and Brad Pitt is definitely without a shadow of a doubt one of them yeah so you know like the moment you have him on a movie it's like Boom, done. whether studio movie or independent movie like people just line up and i'm that that's i'm talking about from the distributor standpoint um holy shit his ghostwriter is amazing <laughs> yeah are you on his website or the tumblr oh i'm just doing google images oh google images yeah yeah so you know um it's, uh, I, I, really need to to my, I really just need to walk away from my computer. <laughs> my shit. Dude, his, uh, his bebop and rocksteady is crazy. Yeah. It's awesome, huh? Yeah. Definitely, definitely get you guys synced up. You guys should do something cool. I'm, I'm sure with your energy and enthusiasm and what you've been creating and along with uh, Dave, there could be something really amazing coming from that. Dave's yeah. got a huge uh, imagination with all kinds of really interesting things for sure. That'd be a good. That'd be a good matchup. Um, yeah, be awesome. Match made on the podcast. There <laughs> it is, people. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. No, this is like, it's really cool, right? I mean, like, like he, he, that's what art is. I mean, like that. It, it, he's reinterpreting. He's reinterpreting. Right. Yeah, he's doing his own version of what he thinks it is, and using his right. own skill sets. That, to... that is literally what art is. At this state, current state, right? Pardon? At this current day and age, I would imagine that's no, 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 not even at this day and age. Like that's what art is. It's it's like looking at like 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 uh, if you're a painter, right? And you uh, and you look at uh, and you're supposed to paint like a, a like a like uh, a king, right? And the king's sitting in front of you, and you and you do an accurate print of that king. You just, that, you just made a portrait. That's not, that's not really considered art, right? But if you make, like, if, if you paint that guy as, like, the devil or something, right? That's art. Because you're, it, it, it's, it's, man, this is how I see this guy. And now I'm putting it to paper. Yeah, just different interpretations. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah that's what art's supposed to be. It's there, like, oh, man, this is how I'm seeing reality. Yeah. Oh, wow, how you see reality, too? Awesome. Sure. Sometimes it's a different level, but I guess it's a, like you mentioned, um, and I agree to this, it's a communication language. It's a, it's a, it's a, a way of, for us to initiate a conversation. What do you look for when you're considering possible potential future projects? Very good question. Uh, I don't know. Is there a feeling that gives you or get excited or something about it that reminds you of something that makes you feel like you can f- build from there? Or... Yeah, I guess. I really don't know. Are you forest gumping your I way can, around this stuff? I can what? explain <laughs> at a very superficial level, right? But I can't on a, on like a, deeper psychological level, like what, you know what I mean? Sure. I mean, everything I've ever done has involved uh, an anti-hero. Yeah. I came to that realization like last year. Um, what do you think that is? I think I feel misunderstood myself. So, um, I'm drawn to people who are misunderstood as well. Yeah, I would imagine that's like probably, I mean, we're drawn to the things that attract us, obviously, you know, sometimes they will tell us things that we are unaware of until we come to a realization. Like you said, you've realized like the anti-hero association to your own personality. Um, But I think it's good to be connected with what you feel akin to, right? Wouldn't you think? Yeah. Because you're being your purest self, right? Right. Yeah. And pure intention, I guess, is probably like the best thing you can provide to the world if you're creating art, I imagine. Right. What are um, some of your favorite films? Like, the, Can you name off like your top three films that you're interested in? Like of all time? Um, I don't know. I mean, that's kind of hard to do, but there's just... You know, like... it's, it's really weird. Like, like, there are movies that have definitely like inspired me, right? And that would be things like like The Warriors, Robocop, Road Warrior, that kind of stuff, right? Sure. But but those are movies that I would only like watch like once, and they they have a profound impact. But you only really watch them once or twice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the movies that I watch on repeat are like comedies, stupid comedies, because they they're constantly funny. 
is the nuances from them. So what are some of these comedies that you're interested in? Like, oh my God, I love Bruno. Bruno, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's the guy's name? Is that is Sasha? Is that Sasha, Sasha Baron Cohen. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's a very smart guy. Yeah. Like I incredibly mean, intelligent. <laughs> I, I know people were like, oh my God, this movie's super homophobic. Like, okay, <laughs> But it was still fucking hilarious. The moment where he had, uh, I forget the celebrity's name, eating sushi off the guy's stomach or something. That was, no, it just, yeah, I was, I remember watching that movie in the theater with a group of like five friends and I was laughing so hard. Like I nearly shat my pants. It was awesome. (laughs) Yeah. I was laughing so hard as well. And I think everyone around me was like, this is not funny. This is offensive. Yeah. (laughs) That made it even more funny to me. Uh, yeah, he's very inappropriate. Isn't that the one where the dick's slapping around, and then it comes out, and then it says Bruno? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, oh, I was like, how does that even? How did that even get uh, passed? It's just I was, I was amazed that it was even, that it even worked. I, you, I, so much funnier than Borat. Borat's yeah, Borat's funny. I I've, I've, I actually like Ali G. The actual before the movie, I find the Ali G. character to be hilarious to me. Just <laughs> from yeah. my standpoint as like an American and everything, it's just really hilarious. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. It's, love the, um, I love the episode though. The, the, you're talking about the British show, right? Yes, yes, LAG. Yeah. I love the episode where he's like talking to like uh, like someone from the FBI on the or someone from the DEA. <laughs> I is saying, man, yeah. <laughs> like you're paying that much for it, I can get it for life. <laughs> He's so good. Uh, he's like, he's like, and my favorite boy's like, okay, so everything on the left side of the table is legal. Everything, and the guy's like, no, 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 no. Everything on the table is illegal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's just like, uh, he's a very, I, it's very one, there's only one of him. Uh, that's the thing I really appreciate. The thing that I personally like about comedy is it's like, wow, like, I don't, I, I, I wish I could be that funny. And I watch them. Um, I try to, but they're just, that guy is just a genius, really. Like, just the things that he's able to come up with. Do you find a similar connection, or do you feel... Are you yeah, interested totally. in doing comedies? Is that something that you're interested in getting into as well? Yeah. I mean, I I, I made a movie uh, that just actually came out uh, in February that people thought is a comedy. Think of it, I think of it as a comedy called uh, The Voices. The Voices. Ryan Reynolds. You check this out. You come out. How many movies are you just dropping these babies off? Like, like McMuffins or man? Let's see, voices. Uh, <laughs> how yeah. This year's been crazy, man. I had a, I had, I had something in theaters in January. Uh, this 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 Ryan Reynolds movie, top of February, uh, Power Rangers end of February, um, the James Bond spy thing, uh, top of March. So you're dropping one every other month or every month or so. Then that's crazy. And how do you? I don't know what fuck's going on. Yeah, that's that's mm. a that's a pretty quick and fast turnaround. And that's why I was wondering what your day is like and how you're managing to keep yourself associated with all these talents and stuff. Actually, how did you get associated with Anthony? Because that's um, an interesting one. Is it through Bard or the his management and stuff? I don't know. I can't remember. <laughs> Just a random email or something? Yeah, I've like known him for a while. I really like him. Yeah. I'm, I'm talking I'm about weird, Anthony like, Scott Burns. I like, I'll meet someone once and I'll be like, oh, I totally trust this guy. This guy's awesome. And <laughs> yeah. then like, you know, um, I just met him. I'm like, oh, I trust this guy. And then my, uh, 
And then I had this talk show, and he was on my talk show. Awesome. And I remember uh, he hung out with me and my ex-girlfriend, and she was Canadian, or is Canadian, he's Canadian, and then, like, they were, like, talking in Canadian. Um, <laughs> and, like, I don't know, made me like him even more. <laughs> yeah, he's a cool dude. Yeah, he's on to some, some big things. I, from what I understand, I don't think you guys can probably, you can talk about it, but you guys are connected on a project. That's going to be really awesome. I'm really excited about that one. Yeah, a couple of things, yeah. Yeah, which is really great. And so it's it's interesting to see how that all works. Um, so talking a bit about maybe, there's another film I wanted to talk about a little bit too, and if you want, if you're interested in um, discussing, but um, randomly my wife chose to watch Lone Survivor. We watched it at home and I turned that shit up loud and that shit was, um, that was a crazy experience. I really, the intensity of the violence um, have you seen American Sniper? Yes, I have watched that as well. Yeah. Which one did you like better? Um, I like bits of both. I think both have a completely different um, feel for me personally. I felt that Lone Survivor had some really beautiful, authentic moments. And I felt um, Sniper had a couple really kind of personally had some cheesy Hollywood moments like 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 which moments like oh my god the other sniper and he's gonna look through cloth like 400 miles away and it's like come on man like you know like come on <laughs> I just felt like um that it was really reaching as far because the reason why I would say that um and I don't mean to insult the film or people that are liked it because it's pretty amazing that it got made but um, when they say this is based off of like actual premise or actual occurrence of, of possibility, like I'm, I'm really going to scrutinize this shit out of it. And by sitting there and I'm like, oh, you're pulling me out of the movie when you do that personally to me. Um, but I felt uh, overall it was, a, had some really phenomenal moments and actually got me in really involved and invested with the characters and stuff. But I really enjoyed Lone Survivor though. I was surprised and amazed and can, can we talk about the that sniper scene right? yes please um, yeah i really liked it and i liked it for the following reason um right before he's about to go to battle against that sniper remember what he says um he's, go ahead he's, he's like in he's like he's like in the tent and there's like all basically his whole team is is gone. It's all new people, right? Yeah. And uh, and they're like, man, there's a there's a sniper at this this location, and uh, I can't remember the enemy sniper's name, but he's like, is it the enemy sniper? And the guy looks at him and goes, it could be anyone you want him to be. Hmm. Right. Yeah. And it was like that really hit home the point of the movie to me. Yeah, that's it true. Was, it was like no one gives a shit. They just like go out and shoot people. He's created this whole narrative in his head. Like I, I, I felt the movie was just like totally from his point of view because he created this whole narrative in his head about yes um, justification. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like okay, this is I'm fighting this war, and it's me and my band of brothers, and we're you know we're on this mission, and it's us versus them, and it's and they're these evil um, <laughs> dudes. But like, it's closer to Game of Thrones in the sense that like, yeah, but a lot of random shit happens. It's not A to B. No, yeah, he's a bit of a masochist. Um, it's interesting. That's a interesting um, 
for me, that film was interesting too, because it's like, you know, what standpoint do you take, you know? And, and yeah, I felt kind of connected with that personally. Military films and war films in general are, are can be kind of hard to, um, kind of assess, I suppose. I mean, they're easy to assess, but, um, yeah, they can be very emotional and people can associate things to them and feel justified and all that stuff in their reasoning. That was, um, that was my pitch for a, for a GI Joe movie and do it like, like, uh, like American sniper, like, you know, like very pretty, very realistic, very emotional. That's probably the best way to go about it. I was actually, going to pitch my idea to you about doing a Punisher. I've always wanted to do Punisher because I think Punisher is probably my favorite. And the way I would do Punisher would be um, connecting Apocalypse Now with Taxi Driver, and taking the best bits from both of those and making it real and making it like crazy <laughs> and putting it almost as a period piece that takes place back in kind of when those films were made and that sensation, sure. that world, that feel. Read, um, did you read the Garth Ennis? Um, I think it was Punisher... Uh, there is a Punisher arc that's like that. Um, war journals? I don't think it was war journal. I think it was um, It was one where he's in Vietnam and all that stuff. I think that might have been war journals, but I have to look into it. But I always uh, felt like... It was, it was like right when Marvel introduced the Max series. Hmm, okay, yeah, that was a, quite a bit of a shift for Marvel itself back then. Yeah. They were introducing a lot of interesting things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's I don't know, it. Good idea, man could be interesting though i mean for me um and i'm just i'm just guessing it seems like you're basing yourself off of passion and what drives you that day and how you feel about that and working with people and your intuition with working with people do you feel that have you experienced um something that's led you down like a has your judgment led you into a bad experience and you know how do you associate yourself with the best people that you can and is there something that you look for in those people uh just people who are real yeah yeah. And what is so what like, makes a real person to you? Real? You know who they actually are. The moment someone's like playing a fucking character, <laughs> yeah. Then you might like the character, but they might the character might change. Yeah. Oh. Um and that can be challenging, definitely. Yeah. Where's where's the future? What what are you looking at doing for the future? Like what is what's on your horizon? Any big goals, dreams, aspirations? No, I really want to be an actor. That's the next thing you're going to be getting into. Um, so I so I've acted in three movies, and then I've acted in some shorts and some web stuff. But yeah, I was just out in a movie uh, last month. Awesome! And so that's uh, something that you're in, you're excited about. Yeah, yeah. I really I'm, I'm really passionate about it, and I and I and I like it, and the stakes are a lot lower for me as an actor, right? Because it's not, it, it's just my face. It's not really me, right? Sure. Like when I make food, like that's me. That's like my whole, the essence of who I am on the line. When I'm playing a character in someone else's movie, it's like, there are no stakes. Hmm. Interesting. The only, the only stake is to like be authentic. Yeah. Have you been following Jake Gyllenhaal's career? What do you think of that? Oh my god, I think he—I uh, think he's done a great job. I think he was destined for television, and he—I'm oh, sorry, not destined, like like headed in the route of television. Yeah, and just completely 
did that 180 post uh, um, uh, Prince of Persia. Yeah, I think he's very aware of his career. I feel like he's, um, personally, I'm a huge fan. I, have you seen Nightcrawler yet? No. You haven't seen Nightcrawler? Hmm. Long, long, long story as to why I haven't seen it. But I don't really want to <laughs> well, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. I felt that was probably one of his best performances yet. Just really strong. But um, he's been, I don't know, just talking about uh, actors that are current that I really appreciate. Have you seen Enemy? Have you seen that film yet? Yep. What did you think of Enemy? Oh, it was really good. Yeah, I really enjoyed it too. The score is fucking amazing. Yeah. I'm going to work with those guys. How about, um, what do you think of like the short films that sh- like Shane did for Primer? Have you seen Primer? And what do you think of Primer? Primer is one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah. What is it about Primer that really does it for you? It's a big idea. Yeah. It's just a big fucking idea, you know? It's very massive. Shane's a very smart guy. You can feel it in his work. What did you think of his other film? I'm trying to think of the name. I really enjoyed it personally. Upstream Color. Upstream Color, Color? yeah. I haven't seen that. I uh, He actually sent me the script years ago for uh, for Atopiary. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you've read that. Um, oh, I heard about it. I think it could be what is the. That? Uh, pardon. What is it? It's basically if um, what Primer was to uh, Back to the Future, I guess. Hmm. Interesting. This is the Transformers. Yeah, there's a bit of it in uh, Upstream Color. Like awesome. it was test footage that was on the computer screen at the start. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. that's awesome. What did you think of it? Did you like it, Andrew? Yeah, I liked it a lot. It was really bizarre. Yeah, I thought there were some fucking amazing moments in that film that I just really connected with. Yeah, it's a pretty big idea, similar to Primer. Yeah. I I prefer Primer, but... Is there a reason why you're not going to see it? Or you're not watching it yet? Upstream? Yeah. Honestly, I forgot. <laughs> Go see it. I think you'd like it. I'm curious to see what you think, especially if uh, Primer is something of interest to you, then... This is something completely different from a the same act, the same director and actor as well, and it just yeah, he has some really. I felt like it was a interesting shift. Obviously, um, I am buying it on iTunes as we speak. Awesome, yeah, I'm curious <laughs> to see what you think because yeah, I I've, I I recommended it to everybody. I've I've had the full spectrum from that movie sucks to it was my favorite film. So it's interesting, and that's one thing I really like about his work as well is. Um, you kind of know whether you like it or not, and and I and I appreciate that pretty quickly from people. Oh shit! You should do a bootleg. What do you think about that? Let's do <laughs> it. Now, there's been a lot of talk about. Um, I don't know if you're familiar at all, but I did this homage to Ghost in the Shell, and basically, um, like 14 months or so of process, just all on like personal time and and working with friends and stuff on our own time and money. We did this homage to Ghost in the Shell where my goal was to create, like recreate the title sequence um, just in still images. Yeah, I saw that. And people are are on the internet are asking, you know, like, you know, directing, putting this together with you. And um, I think it was the Joseph as well. What are your thoughts on that? Are you a fan of Ghost in the Shell at all? I love Ghost in the Shell. Um, Yeah. Um, I love it. I really like your your the your your lost 
Lost Boy thing that you sent me as well. <laughs> cool, man. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, something really special. I think that's to me is my own kind of my own Akira, I guess, you know, so we'll see what happens from there. That's in development. It's working too. So, but I'm excited. Maybe we can do something with that, but we should consider possibly doing something fun with the bootleg universe and find some that we're both excited about and go have some fun. Yeah. There's so much to do. You know, there's so much work to be. Anthony, this idea when we were, uh, when this was, this was after me, uh, Anthony and my girlfriend, my ex-girlfriend were being, we're talking Canadian to each other. Um, we hopped in a car and I was like trying to drive him back to his, uh, his hotel. And Obama was in town and we were stuck in traffic and I was like having a migraine and I was like <laughs> super hungry and it was the worst and we were just, it was just bumper to bumper traffic. And uh, I was like, wouldn't it be funny to do Batman like a sitcom? <laughs> I mean, just, 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 just fuck with the whole idea that, oh man, it's so dark. <laughs> darker, let's go even darker. No, no, even darker. Like, okay, it's a sitcom. There's a laugh track. <laughs> yeah, that could be a lot of fun. It's interesting. What do you think of Nolan's take on all this, uh, his whole enterprise with the, the Dark Knight? I think it was great. Um, I loved it. I, mean, I love Batman Begins. Um, Same. I'm a big Batman fan, though. So, it's such a perfect story. Batman's one of those characters that literally anyone could play him. Literally anyone could play Batman. Yeah. Clint Eastwood could play Batman. Liam Neeson could play Batman. Uh, Christian Bale could play Batman. <laughs> he did. He did an amazing job. And of course he is. Ryan Gosling <laughs> could. Anyone could play Batman because Batman is an idea. He's not a character. Yeah, and that's what's allowed that character to be iconic and immortal, basically, which is really great great you know that's i was going to bring up earlier too talking about kind of building your own projects um the one thing that really inspires me is that chris nolan was developing dark knight in his garage and getting it ready to pitch you know so and i think this was prior to inception i think it was just after the prestige and but he wanted to do inception from what i understand so how much of this um, this world of building films is paying dues and knowing the right people? What would you say the ratio is? I'd say it's about ten uh, percent paying dues and ninety percent knowing the right people. Yeah, I would Maybe agree. Maybe to five percent paying dues and ninety-five percent knowing the right people. <laughs> hmm. So you think a lot of it's just networking then? not networking man it's like it's like it's deeper than that yeah being a real person and somehow connecting no 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 no. i mean look there the 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 truth is and and no one really wants to hear this because it's i came into this as an outsider right like i'm not even from this fucking country yeah i didn't know a single fucking person um but yeah, I mean, for the most part, it's like, um, I think, I think for, in a lot of instances, it's, it's like, uh, people owing each other favors. Hmm. That's interesting. Let's go back for a long time. Right. Yeah. When they say, you know, the, the, like, like they often say that, Hey, the, 
best entry level job is working at a talent agency, right? Hmm. That's because you're building up a, a a list of papers and leverage. Interesting. Yeah, because that's what what I find fascinating is like you mentioned, you're not from this country, you didn't know anybody, and then now you're dropping films every month or so. Um, yeah, it's very fucking random and weird. But seven years, what I'm trying to get a picture of is like, how does one go about doing that? And is it, that's why I, the opening of this discussion was based off of passion. I'm wondering, is it, is it just raw passion and desire to create things? And then oh. that intention just takes you there? I, and, and a lot of, a lot of dumb luck, man. A <laughs> lot of, like a lot of luck. Yeah. But the truth is, there are, there are a lot of, you know, but that like, but 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 never underestimate that five percent that is paying your dues, right? Yeah, that is that is the five percent that a lot of people just simply aren't even willing to do, and that eliminates a lot of the guys with the Rolodex. Yeah, it's uh, kids of famous movie stars, um, famous directors, um, guys that have run studios, like. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, definitely. Who are some of the your the people that you really enjoy working with that you have so far? Um, I really enjoy working with Vanderbeek, man. Hmm. And I really enjoy working with Joseph. Yeah, Joseph it seems Tom. like you guys have a good connection, a synergy, huh? Yeah, yeah. I think because we're we're both outsiders. We're both firmly outsiders. And so that connection kind of bonds the, the two of you, and then there's a right. un, under, underlying association with that. Then, yeah. Are you guys having? Do you guys have something interesting planned together for the next project that you guys are working on? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I love it. I love how ambiguous and, and just uh, through the wind you are. That's great. Because I guess it doesn't matter, right? It's just a matter of just that journey you said and working yeah. with people that you enjoy and creating cool stuff. It's weird because I, I don't because I feel like with with a lot of um, yeah it's weird. How would I you oh, really? Sorry, I think the guy is just extremely talented. Yeah, he definitely has a vision which I admire. I think every director should have that. Obviously, the intention of the vision is obviously very important, you know. And he definitely has it. How what what makes you what drives you to be so transparent in your process? You're very I mean look at you're on this podcast with us and is discussing things you know all the way from your personal life to your upbringing to your influences on films. Um, do you feel that transparency is a key role in just who you are as a person and what what drives you to be so trans transparent? Uh, I don't know because I I don't have time to lie. It's <laughs> good. That makes, I'm, I'm so fucking busy. Beautiful like, line. Like, dude, like, even like right now, right? I don't know if you heard that. My phone was like fucking blown up. Right? Yeah. <laughs> phone was ringing. Uh, as I got a text message, someone needs to deal with me. I'm directing something next week, and uh, they need me to deal with that. My the phone call was like, I don't know. God knows what that was about. That was that was um, my management company calling me with, I don't know what about. And in we need exactly, you now. Exactly ten minutes. I have to um, uh, uh, start doing publicity for the Blu-ray release of the movie that came out in February. Awesome! Yeah, I was going to say we have a couple more minutes. I just wanted to make right? sure. So it's like it's like I have so much going on that I can't. I don't know. I, I like, don't even have time to sit there and think of a lot. That's awesome. That's actually a beautiful place to be, though, wouldn't you say? 
Either that or I'll say something racist accidentally and everyone will hate me. <laughs> but I think it's good to be yourself, though. You know, an authentic self is, is I feel, um, I mean, Anthony, for example, Anthony and I talk a bit about a very controversial person in the comic book industry, Frank Miller. Um, it's For me, it's interesting. I don't know if you're familiar. Are you familiar with his big rant that he did on his um, blog? No. It's really interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll let you read it, but it was interesting. And but the thing was, is uh, Frank was being his authentic self. I think either that or he was really upset that day and dealing with a lot of shit. But the internet and the people that are around, it, I think there's a whole different level of sensitivity. It's almost like um, people that are in their cars they um, operate socially differently, obviously, because they feel like they're a transformer and nobody can hurt them. Um, the internet has this interesting thing as well and your authentic self. And so when we talk about you're saying there's not, a, you don't have enough time to even make up a lie. It's in your, your, your challenge just to be completely transparent. Um, that's probably, I'm, I'm thinking that's probably a really good skill set to have though, I would imagine. But at the same time, like you said, you might end up offending people. Do you worry about that? Offending people? <laughs> that's great though you know because i guess fuck them <laughs> but yeah well not, um not like fuck them it's more like like i don't know what's going to be offensive and what's going to be funny i don't know sure i guess if you're doing both at the same time you're doing it right i once heard if you're loved and hated at the same time you're doing something right and and um I don't know. Do you subscribe to that? No, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I started <laughs> getting a lot of like, I don't know. How do you deal with the haters? How do I? Yeah. Uh, I, I just get really upset. <laughs> and then what? I just get more upset. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> What's the X's on your hand? Are you straight edge? Is that what that is? It's, um, for me, it means more about like, you know, it's it being true to yourself, right? It's, it's the whole idea of like, it, it's like the whole peer pressure thing, right? Cause that's, that's where it started, right? The, the straight edge thing. It started from, it, it came from more of a place of peer pressure than like anything else, right? It's like, it's like, Hey, fuck off. Don't pressure me into doing this thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think there, there's a global implication to that, especially in the world we live in, where where we basically live in a consumerist mosh pit, and that disease is globally, right? Hmm. And we've been sold different ideas, like, um, like yeah, I, I did a speech at um, in in uh, Seattle to a bunch of to a to a whole uh, theater full of kids, super smart kids, and I said, I'm going to say a word. And if an image came, comes to your head, a very clear, vivid image, raise your hand. And I said, cool. My word is cool. They all raise their hands. Hmm. And I'm like, you realize the word cool doesn't actually exist. Like, like cool doesn't exist in nature. I mean, obviously it means like cold in nature. But like, like the, word, the, word, the version of cool that you're thinking about, doesn't, it's not a real thing. It is marketing companies. It's advertisers. It's, it's brands uh, uh, trying to sell you an idea of who you, who, what, and why you should exist, and what you should be, and what you should look like. And if somehow you don't subscribe to this, this image that they, that, that they are perpetuating, that somehow you are different, you're weird, you don't, you don't belong. And we talk about bullying and shit, and like, you know, we need to stop bullying. Well, I'm sorry, like, 
Do you think maybe this is contributing to it? And that's where that's coming from. Interesting. And do you are you, are you do you practice the act of um, being straight edge or whatever that um, is? Because I mean, me personally, growing up in school, um, I was afraid of drugs, so I didn't do them. I had family members who associated themselves with drugs. It was a big turnoff for me, so I. I always thought of as bad, so I associated myself with like hardcore music and straight edge and all that kind of stuff. And then, because that's again, that's again, that's the label. Exactly, you know what I mean? and what it, yeah, it became a horrible kind of thing because it was like anti-anti, and it was almost yeah, yeah. It's like, look, if someone wants to like smoke crack, I don't have a problem with that. If someone wants to become a a, a raging alcoholic, I don't have a problem with that. I really, I, 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 I don't. I mean, you know what I mean? It's like. To each his own. The problem I have comes from, it stems from like, oh, I have to do this because that's going to make me fit in. That's what, that's what's cool. That's what society tells me that I need to subscribe to in order to achieve self-actualization. Mm-hmm. Self-actualization being defined as assimilating into this group. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I'm just curious because I noticed that and it reminded me of my youth. I grew up, you know, with that kind of, that culture in a sense. And I was just curious as to see what what it was all about. <clears throat> I guess we can probably, I can probably want to close this off and um, kind of talk about, is there something that you are, I mean, we kind of touched on this a little bit, but is there something of a dream project of yours or there's something that you aspiring to build and work on. You're, you mentioned getting into acting. Is there, you know, a property that you're really interested in creating or developing? Um, and where are you seeing going with that? I want to make a, make a, I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to make a, Anthony Scott Burns is porn addiction, but. <laughs> we should. Freaking addicted to porn. <laughs> He's gonna hate us for this. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I want to make a movie about Anthony Scott Burns' porn addiction, directed by him. <laughs> <laughs> and that does it for this week's episode. Thank you guys so much for listening in. You can find links to Adi's work and all the show notes for this week's episode at thecollectivepodcast.com/slash ninety-seven. You can also find links to our Facebook and Twitter, and check us out on iTunes. Go have an amazing day, everybody. Be powerful, be prolific. Peace out.